We are go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. By my side, as always, is Chief Engineer Bob, and via Interocitor, circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. Today's episode brings us to a discussion about Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Straight away, we're going to kick it over to Chief Engineer Bob. Bob, for those that are not in the know, who and what is Kolchak the Night Stalker? Well, Kolchak the Night Stalker followed a uh, newspaper reporter, a rather ruffled, out of place newspaper <laughs> reporter, who would uh, basically pursue stories that had to do with the supernatural and uh, paranormal, etc. And was very much, very much an influence on the X-Files. And we'll oh, kind of yes. go into that later on in the episode. But uh, basically, uh, author Jeff Rice wrote an unpublished novel called Col The Colshack Papers. Hmm. Uh, ABC found out about it and optioned the novel for a TV movie. Back in those days, TV movies were big. And... Uh, a lot of those would act as like a pilot for a TV series, or they would just stand on their own. But uh, they optioned it off, and uh, Richard Matheson, who uh, was a very prolific writer, uh, everything from I Am Legend to uh, Zuni Fetishdahl and Trilogy of Terror, and uh, quite a few other uh, short stories that became TV shows and TV series and movies. Anyway, uh, he adapted the script into a TV movie. And then Dan Curtis, who also did Dark Shadows of Dark and Shadows the Trilogy of Terror, right. he produced it with uh, John Llewellyn Moxie directing. And uh, it aired basically on uh, January 11th, 1972, and got huge ratings. Uh, 33.2 or 54 share, meaning like 54% of the people who had their TVs turned on that night had them turned on to Kolshak the Night Stalker. 
That's impressive. So uh, at that point, ABC had Matheson write a second movie, which was The Night Strangler. And uh, that one aired and also got ratings well enough to basically start the TV series, which was, which was called The Night Stalker for about the first four or five episodes. And then it became Shack The Night Stalker, mm. starring Darren McGavin. Yeah, the first two movies, The Night Stalker, which was, which, uh, was a vampire, and The Night Strangler, which uh, was actually Richard Anderson from Six Million Dollar Man, Oscar Goldman. <laughs> That's right. Playing a uh, <laughs> aging slash ageless uh, person who had to basically kill people and yeah. right in the moment of their death extract a vial of blood to uh, keep him going. But... Uh, but so, going back to you guys, did you even watch any of this when you were younger? Oh yeah, I re- I remember. Uh, I have vague memories of seeing the Night Stalker, even though I was really young. But my mom was always into anything that was really scary or or uh, horror oriented. Sore, so we we definitely watched it, and I remember the TV series specifically watching it, but. Mm. Um, yeah, we we were big Kolchak fans in my household, and uh, it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> I couldn't watch. It's funny going back now, you know, and watching these episodes because, uh, you know, they just don't have the same impact. But as a kid, this stuff was was really disturbing, especially watching it at night. You know, it's the lights are off or whatever. It, it was it was all really pretty creepy stuff. And I have to really tip my hat to uh, Darren McGavin because I think he sold it really well. Oh, yeah. You know, he was not, Kolchak was not, you know, a uh, Indiana Jones type or anything like that. <laughs> he was just as scared of everything as the audience. So it, it worked really well. Yeah, that's true. I, uh, you know, in, in, in our household, during the day, they would have reruns of Gomer Pyle or uh, I Dream a Genie. So we'd watch, you know, these these television shows, but they were in black and white. And it was primetime that the stuff was in color. I don't remember the first two films. I, I watched those later in life, but I remember the series. My mother's youngest brother, Uncle Gary, would watch, um, not The Twilight Zone, what, The Night Gallery. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Night Stalker. And, I, you know, he let me watch, too. He's like, here, you want a cigarette and a beer, too? And I'm like, no. I'm <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, it was a lot of fun. Um, watching them as an adult, like the one where the headless horseman, he's on a motorcycle. And it just looks so poor. I mean, the, the costume is just terrible. You can tell there's a man under it, you know, the, the upper torso is about four feet tall. But at the time you're watching it and it's just one of the greatest things ever. Um, so good, good memories, uh, watching it, uh, bought the DVD. I'm lucky enough to have the, the DVDs. So every once in a while, I'll go back to the night stalker universe. How about you, Bob? When, when did you, uh, well, I think like you, I think I discovered <laughs> the movies later on, but yeah, I was watching the TV show when it first came on and you know, watched it religiously every week. And, uh, yeah, some of it, some of it doesn't really uh, hold up. However, I think one that definitely does is the zombie episode, oh, which is titled yes. simply "Zombie," 
And of course, this was uh, not your George Romero or Walking Dead or whatever type zombies. These were, you know, the old voodoo type zombies. Right. But um, yeah, just him. You know, if you guys haven't seen, spoiler alert. But <laughs> yeah, that's right. Him just in the junkyard, and he finds the zombie like laying in the back of a, of a I think it was a <laughs> hearse or an ambulance or whatever, and having to sew up his mouth, like Put pour salt the salt in, it, right. in the mouth and sew it up, and then uh, the eyes open, mm-hmm. and he screams and jumps out, and you know, it's like. And again, yeah, I've watched that recently, and it still holds up. I mean, it's a pretty creepy, eerie episode. I agree. <laughs> and the, the voodoo lady, Kolchak, 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 shaking the yeah, bones. So, yeah, and the whole the time he's trying to do that, she's sitting there trying to curse him and everything else. So yeah, works on many levels. Yeah, no, I agree. And it, it's funny, be, and we talked about this with Lord Bloodraw before in the past, in some past episodes, the difference between a ghoul and a zombie, and how. Well, the Romero film changed ghouls into zombies and zombies into ghouls. The zombies, you know, that we think about were the Haitian zombies and, you know, the servants of the living that, you know. But uh, this went back to its roots of what a zombie was. Uh, and it just, I, I think you're right. I think it still holds up today um, better than the, uh, the Headless Horseman episode. Better than the Chopper. Although I love, <laughs> I chopper. love that episode with Chopper because, <clears throat> all right, you know, take, take the suit or the costume or whatever out of it. Right. It's just, it's just a, a cool episode. They're all yeah. cool. And then what works for me too is um, there was a 70s vibe with the music that they would use, whether it was a synthesizer mm-hmm. or what, that really freaked me out as a kid. <laughs> Same could be said about In Search of the the Nimoy series. They, you know, play that really weird music, and it just added to the ambiance of the thing. Um, you know what's kind of interesting? I read a little uh, tidbit, which mm-hmm. I don't know. It's on the internet, so maybe it's true, maybe it's not. <laughs> um, but concerning some of the incidental music in the episodes, they said that it was actually some of it was recycled from uh, the Gene Roddenberry movie, The Questor Tapes. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's well, it was the same so, composer, right? Gil Millet? Yeah. Hmm. And that he also put together the Kolchak theme in like 20, minutes, which I, I, he must, be, he must have been a very talented guy because I thought that was a really good theme song. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's still. Oh, I, th- I thought it was brilliant that he whistles at the beginning because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you watch an episode and you're afterwards, you're walking around whistling that <laughs> theme song. You know. Oh, it's a great theme song. It is. It really stands out uh, as far as like memorable uh, theme songs. Um, what's a favorite episode that you have, Karen? Or a memorable uh, episode? I mean, you know, what's funny? I was thinking about it. And one that was really memorable to me was um, the Swamp uh, swamp monster, the swamp moss mm. monster. So oh, yeah, Spanish moss, this, yeah. The Spanish moss, yeah. Because it's really sort of a Bigfooty kind of monster, but then it's actually just the like physical manifestation of. Here's a spoiler alert again. Physical <laughs> manifestation of this guy's dreams, um, and it had this whole. You know, it was the. Uh, what is it, kind of um, French or Cajun, I guess, Cajun thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was Richard Keel playing this 
kind of Bigfoot covered in moss. And he's down in the sewer when Kolchak has to like kill him, but Kolchak's like flumbling around in the sewer and he's <laughs> running away at first and he's screaming and Kolchak's like always screaming and stuff. <laughs> and then he kills him by sticking him with this little stick. <laughs> I don't know. It seems kind of ridiculous, but like at the time it's like, holy crap, yeah. get away from that thing, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was just really, it was like, it hit all the right things. It's just so 70s at the time, right? Because right. it hits the, the whole, like, Bigfoot kind of thing, supernatural, you know, all that stuff. Well, uh, it's one of the most 70s series, that's for sure. Oh, definitely. Let me let me go to Bob. For those not in the know, Richard Keel, famous for, please give us a couple well, of his... We, uh, you know, going back to Bay Area film events. We had Richard Keel as a guest at our James Bond show. Yep our 007 uh, License to Thrill show, uh, because he played Jaws, the uh, giant villain with the gold teeth in The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker. Mm -hmm. And back then, you know, he was telling us stories because back then, I mean, he was in, he was in Shack, he was in Bewitched, he was in The Monkees, he was in like quite a few. Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone, very mm -hmm. famous. He was in the... Uh, to serve mankind. To serve mankind. Yeah, he was in quite a few things. You know, I guess whenever they needed somebody big and tall, it was either him it or Ted Cassidy, one of the two. And Ted Cassidy played. played there you go, yeah. from Adam's Family. That's right. And Rock yeah. in uh, Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek, that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, Richard Keel was in several episodes as uh, creatures in, oh, in Night Stalker. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the, the feel of the show and all that. I mean, basically, you have people writing like Robert Zemeckis wrote for that. Oh, and, that's interesting. Yeah, Bob Gale wrote the Chopper episode. Huh. So, you know, these are people that went on, you know, David Chase worked on it as a story editor in quite a few episodes. And he was credited, David Chase basically created The Sopranos, but he was basically credited for a lot of the, uh, the humor and personality that was in the show. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they, you know, they had some pretty damn talented people working on that show. So, you know, say what you will about the creature or the monster of the week or whatever, you know, what the effects looked like or whatever, but you had some very talented people working on those scripts and uh, bringing Cole Shack and, and Vincenzo and everyone else to life. Uh, yeah, and, that's uh, true. And I love Vincenzo. Uh, Simon was, Oakland. Yeah, he was a great, great uh, protagonist to to uh, Carl Kolchak. Um, and he let, was in both of the movies as well. He, I was going to say, mm -hmm. let, let's go back to the movie because I recently, I haven't finished Night Strangler, but Night Stalker, that was a good, that, I mean, that could have played theatrically, I would think. But, okay. you know, for whatever reason, it was movie of the week and according to... A chief engineer did uh, Bafo at the uh, or with the uh, ratings. Um, I I really thought the portrayal of the vampire was good. You know, it wasn't like a bleh, I'm Dracula. Um, <laughs> he drove a car. I'm like, wait, that vampire's driving a car. Um, Did they do that? <laughs> um, yeah, it was interesting because he it, he did seem like a serial killer, but right. it kind of, it makes sense, right? It's like, well, he has to adapt to modern times or, or like when he was robbing the blood bank, right? Uh, yeah, right, yeah. 
that was that was pretty cool. And he was smart. He tried to keep that one gal alive so that he could just have a constant supply of blood, whatever there was a lull or, or whatever. Um, well, the whole thing about that is uh, I don't think Kolshak was really Kolshak yet. No, he he was because he was he was fairly serious. He had a he had a girlfriend and everything else. Right. And, you know, once the series hit, he was more kind of the guy out of place in any situation, whether it's a you know, whether it's a uh, crime scene, right, or whether it's a uh, you know a press conference or whatever. He's always the guy that sticks out like a sore thumb and is out of place. But, N- not uh, just because of his bad suit. <laughs> The old seersucker suit. And we'll kind of get into that, too, in a little bit. There's a couple right. of things with that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he basically, he was kind of more, I don't know, kind of debonair in that first movie. He was. He well, was. That, that first film, you know, they make reference to the fact that he's still, he, he was once, I think, a New York reporter. Right. And so he's, he, something happened, I forget what, but he, he's kind of fallen from grace. And so he's still hoping that he's going to get some big, story and he's going to wind up back in new york and uh he's still he's pretty slick in night stalker right and that um, takes place in in las vegas right old vegas a lot of good vintage shots old of vegas, the sands yeah. and yeah a lot of casinos that don't exist anymore so yeah so then he leaves vegas he, he gets, gets run, run out, out of, of town. vegas <laughs> and then we go into night strangler and he winds up in Seattle. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. In uh, I've been to Seattle, but I never toured the underground. Um, they have tours of the underground of Seattle, you know, the city below the city. Um, and, and some of the episode takes place down there. And that was pretty cool. Well, that's where the, uh, the Strangler's Lair is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I, guess I haven't been on the tour of the underground either, but... Supposedly, it was a little enhanced underground. Oh, for the yeah. yeah, for the production. They shot down there, but yeah, there was some sort of enhancements that were made for the for the movie. Now, when the series got uh, picked up by ABC, they they redid the vampire story, didn't they? Wasn't that one of the the episodes that they picked up on? It was a shorter version of it. Well, I think they did a vampire episode. Okay. But I don't think it was a remake per se. Um, they did sort of a sequel. Yeah, if I remember correctly. I haven't seen that episode in years now, but it kind of gave a little connective tissue, I thought, to the the, the first story, which, which was good. Um, it worked out well. Um, the series went for, what, uh, two seasons? Season and a half? Oh, no, just barely a season. Barely yeah, a season. like 20 There's episodes, like, one season. Yeah. Oh, that's just a shame. It was kind of, well... The thing with the series is Darren McGavin was made a uncredited executive producer of the series. And he was doing a lot of basically (laughs) editing, producing and story editing. Really? Rewriting scripts and things and not getting the credit and not getting the pay. You know, he was just being paid to be Carl Kolschak. So... He was kind of getting fed up. He was also getting fed up of the Monster of the Week kind of concept, format, right? And uh, basically asked to get out. And plus, the series started at like 10 p.m. on Friday nights, uh-huh. which is kind of the 
No pun Kissing. intended, the graveyard of TV shows. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it did so-so, and they moved it to 8 o'clock. But still, if you're trying to do a series that uh, basically is aimed at the younger audience, and I don't mean kids, I mean, you know, like yeah. <clears throat> basically the, the teens and 20s and 30s, you're not going to want to put it on at 8 o'clock on a Friday when they're all out. Yeah. So, you know, the ratings was just, were just not there, and it ended up uh, going by the wayside, unfortunately, after like 20 episodes. Yeah, it's too bad. I was going to say, I have, I have the box set, but it's not that big of a box set. So uh, one of these days I'm going to run through and just binge through it. God knows there's a ton of things I need to binge through. But Well, it was on MeTV for a while. I think it probably still is, but... Um Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it was Sunday nights on MeTV, they had. Closure. Oh, that's I right. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, let me ask you guys this: as far as the um, bringing the Night Stalker back, it was short-lived on ABC. Did you guys watch that? Uh, Unfortunately, I watched a few. Yeah, that I was two thousand five, and uh, Frank Spotnitz, who was actually. X. One of the producers on the X-Files yeah. brought it back and uh, did not understand the character at all. I mean, basically, you know, this guy was, he was, wasn't out of place anywhere. He wore, you know, the latest clothes. He had a, instead of having a beat up old yellow Mustang, <laughs> he had a brand new orange Mustang. And he had a, uh, a really nice house. Yeah. With a whole, you know, all glass on, up on the hill in L.A. looking over the landscape. And, you know, he just, it was not Carl Kolschak. Carl right. Kolschak in name only. And uh, it, the ratings were terrible. It lasted like six episodes and went off into God knows where. I don't even think it's available anywhere. I don't think so either. But, uh, you know, like I say, Chris Carter of the X-Files was such a big Kolschak fan that he wanted to bring Kolshak into the X-Files. Mm. And he couldn't work out with MGM to get the uh, the rights. So he ended up bringing Darren McGavin in as sort of the father of the X-Files. He was like an ex or retired FBI agent that right. supposedly started the X-Files. Mm -hmm. And so uh, even in the latest X-Files incarnation, they had one episode where a character was dressed in the old seersucker suit and hat, yep. just like Kolshak, basically to tease fans. Because when they had the uh, preview for that episode at the end of the previous episode, you saw basically you saw Kolshak in a graveyard. You thought, "Holy crap, Carl yep. Kolshak's back next week!" And it was just some other character with the, you know, the same clothes. But um, the fact that he was such a fan, and that one of the guys that worked with him went and got the chance to make a series based on Carl, on Kolshak the Night Stalker and blew it to such a degree that they did, you know, it's, it's really disappointing. It's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah. Did, did you catch the remake at all, Walker? No. I mean, I saw the ads for it, and just based on that, I kind of felt like I didn't want to see it. I don't know how it could have fallen apart like that, Bob, because like like you said, I mean, with the X-File pedigree and, and not obviously knowledge of, excuse me, the show and, and what worked with the original, how could you blow it? I mean, he had his wife, his wife died of mysterious causes or whatever, and it's like, 
I, I was so disappointed. That hurt. It, it actually hurt. You know, it's like I'm, I'm glad they took it off the air. <laughs> Well, I'm glad I'm glad that people realize that it just didn't get the ratings. I mean, it bombed basically. Wow. And as, again, he just, for whatever reason, did not understand what made Kolshak Kolshak. Right. Well, you know. but I, I sort of wonder too if that it's a, one of those shows that is so specific to the era in which it was created that it just trying to translate it to a, a new era is is kind of pointless. You know, because uh, like I said, I, I I feel like it has such a powerful 70s vibe that if you're going to try and translate, it's almost like, well, why don't you just come up with something new? Because it feels so heavily invested in the 70s. I just don't know that I see a point in making an, uh, another Kolchak. It's sort of like just make a new thing like, oh, we made X-Files, which is very similar right. in some respects, but it's its own thing. It's like that makes more sense to me than bringing back Kolchak. That's interesting. As I think about this, because his his tape recorder and his camera were very dated. You wouldn't see a modern day Kolchak walking around with that equipment now with iPhones and uh, you know Googles and all that kind of stuff. But the whole idea of a monster of a week, I think that would be hard to sustain episode after episode. Uh, you know, even if you go uh, werewolves down to the you know. Chupacabra or, you know, Skunk Ape. There's only so many monsters. Even with the X-Files, yeah, they'd cover some monsters, but then they'd get into the alien mythology and, and government conspiracies well, and stuff like that. X-Files did it to a certain extent. Uh, Supernatural does it to a certain extent. Some of the more comedic episodes of Supernatural could almost be <clears throat> translated over to a Kolshak type mm. of episode. I think they could pull it off, but, I mean, they just have to... They don't have to have someone like imitating Darren McGavin, but if you know, they just no. understand the concept of the character and put him into basically situations that he really doesn't belong in, and he's always like the sore thumb in the side of the police and and all that. It's like I think they could do it, but you know, they would have to do it right. If if, if anything, you'd have to have that '70s music, though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, and there may be a reason why it only lasted 20 episodes, too. I mean, I, I do think the monster of the week kind of format is very limited. Yeah. Maybe if Kolchak had had some sort yeah. of antagonist or a group or something that he was pursuing rather than just... But then that kind of goes against, like Bob is saying, well, he just kind of falls into stuff. Yeah. So if he was actively pursuing things, does that change the character so much that it's not really the concept that you're starting with well i know with the first two movies he was an investigative reporter it wasn't necessarily monsters but it was oh someone died go check it out what did they die from uh, they died from two puncture marks on the neck what you know and then the story took off in that direction for the strangler and the stalker and i think in the series that's what would happen too is that there was just something quirky or weird because his boss kept on saying you know carl you can't do that kind of a story. Or Carl, you know, problem with yeah, this, it, problem with that didn't want to believe him. Yet here's it, all this evidence. It it does. I mean, it stretches even for a show like this where you're you're kind of accepting what's going on. It stretches credibility after a while. Like what you know, what's going on in Chicago that 
Well, it's like <laughs> week after week. Yeah, it's like, I'm not moving on, to man. Chicago. Vincenzo sends him to, you know, basically, you know, he wants to get him off the main stories, and they send him off on a cruise ship to cover, you know, <laughs> right? A cruise, right? And a werewolf, shows up. Yeah, and yeah. a werewolf shows up. You know, so yeah, it's like. They could, maybe it's just these things follow him. I don't Mayhem know. follows uh, Kolchak. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we're lucky that that it did come out because uh, if if listeners, if you haven't heard of or watched any episodes or movies of Carl Kolchak's The Night Stalker, like Bob was saying, you wouldn't have an X Files. You wouldn't have you know these other genre films or, or movies, uh, TV movies like we have today um it, it, they're they're just they're they're lovely episodes to to experience and watch uh let me ask you guys this now in the modern day where you can watch shows on your phone and and over the internet and with cable having you know 20 million uh channels do you think the Night Stalker would have lasted longer had they maybe cut the episodes to uh, when they redid the uh, X Files. Was it this year or last year, Bob? There was only like five episodes for the season. Do you think that would have helped the Night Stalker last longer by just kind of shortening the season? Well, the Night Stalker kind of existed in an era where you had what? ABC, CBS, NBC, that was about it. Right. And so the that big was kind of limited. What's that? The, the big, big three. three. Yeah. And ratings were everything. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, if you had something like that on, say, like a Netflix or something, it could probably possibly go on longer. And again, you know, 20 episodes, that's, that's a long season for any of these Netflix shows. Right. I mean, if they did, you know, 13 episode, 14 episode blocks of it, then, oh, and then uh, people could binge. Know. Yeah, so possibly, you know, you binge through and it's like, oh, we're done and, you know, it's coming back in six months or something and uh, maybe maybe Cole Shack's better in, low, in small doses, but... Yeah. Um, what do you think? I, you know, it's, uh, a, it's just such a product of its time is the thing. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably a product of its time. What are you thinking, Karen? Yeah, I mean, it's the format back then was always twenty some episodes. So I don't, I don't think you can really think about it outside of the the time frame. You wouldn't fly back yeah. then. I mean, if somebody was watching it now, yeah, I don't know that you could binge more than like four or five at a time. It's a product of its time, maybe yeah. its era. What I want to know is, yeah, where do you guys think Shack ranks? in the the ranks of monster hunters so you have your van helsings and you have your winchester brothers and all these other people who go out and hunt down monsters where does carl kolchak deserve to be ranked amongst the all the the great monster hunters mr bob you want oh, to take I go that first. or you want me to take it um well, when you think of Van Helsing, you basically think of Dracula, except for you know recent <laughs> movies where he's more of a superhero and he goes. Yeah, let's not talk about yeah. the crappy ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I would say you know let's put Van Helsing aside. He's just basically a protagonist for uh, for Dracula, oh. and uh, you know I 
like I say, I've mentioned it before, I've been with Supernatural all 14 seasons since episode one, haven't missed one, watch it every week. Uh, you know, so I get, there is a place in my heart for the Winchesters. Um, there's also a place in my heart for, for uh, Mulder and Scully. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would put, but I would put Carl Kolshak, you know, personally, I'd put him close to the top. I've always been a Kolshak fan. And uh, I just think Darren McGavin's portrayal is just spot on, you know, for the, for the character and what he was supposed to be. Um, you know, definitely I'd, I'd put him near the top. Uh, unlike Bob, I, I don't know who the Winchesters are. I've never watched Supernatural, although a lot of my friends have. And and at some point I'll, I'll have to binge 14 years worth, <laughs> maybe 15, because I think they have another season coming out. Um, I think even, uh, unlike Bob, even though Van Helsing just battles Dracula, he's kind of like the granddaddy of, of monster hunters, killers, whatever. Um, so he's, he'd be pretty high on my list. The, Carl Kolchak, I think his ability pre-internet to research these phenomena uh, you know, he'd get books from the library. He'd go visit the corner. The, well, you got Wally Cox in the basement with uh, all his books. Yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> um, I, I give him high points for trying to figure out how to deal with, uh, you know, uh, an Aztec demon or a, a witch or a werewolf. Or, you know, he uh, he figured it out and, and did the best he could with zombies and, and the lot. So... He's he's up there too. I, um, I I I wouldn't say he was as fearless as Van Helsing, uh, but uh, but he was very um, resourceful. Karen. Yeah, I think that's a a key word here is resourceful. Um, more and more, I've come to appreciate protagonists that are not um, hulking bodybuilder types. Um, so just like I, I really appreciate um, Peter Cushing's Van Helsing, who is at best wiry. Um, <laughs> I, I really appreciate Carl Kolschak because he's he's not a brave person, but uh, he still manages to to face down these weird creatures. And he, like you said, he does his his research. He he you know looks into things. He tries to figure stuff out and uh he's pretty fast on his feet so Mm. i have to give him high marks well you got to say i mean again being a product of his time you never had carl kolshak like (laughs) sitting in the corner of the newsroom questioning whether he should be doing what he's doing or regretting or you know i'm not gonna go after these supernatural things anymore (laughs) right i'm gonna do you know whatever um you don't have angst he He's going after the supernatural. He knows what he's got to do. And, you know, he, he finds out about these things. And whether people believe him or not, he tells it to them with such conviction yeah. and won't back down. It's just, uh, you know, it's just Carl Kolschak. And I think a big thing for me for the series, too, is Darren McGavin's narration. Yeah, that was... Where he'll start the episode mm-hmm. talking into a tape recorder about, you know, this, that, and the other thing that he's doing in that episode and just his inflections and the way he does it and the way he talks and the way he tells a story 
I think really makes it for me. And it helped draw us in as well. You know, when, when we start the episode that way, he gives the narration and then right. boom, the episode takes place. Now I have a question for both of you. Um, doesn't have to be as of today, but let's say 10, 20 years after the last episode of the series or the last movie, uh, how would you maybe not finish off Carl Kolchak's story, but one more movie, one more episode, where would you place Carl? What would the dynamic be? What, what would the story kind of involve? Um, take a minute to think about it. Uh, let's start with Bob and then we'll go over to Karen. I didn't get my minute. Um. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, because I, 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 I have an answer. So if you want, I'll give my answer and you guys can think or you want to. No, I'll jump just kinda, in. Okay. All right. I think, you know, it's Kolchak. So obviously he would have to get run out of Chicago somehow mm-hmm. for uh, doing something. Who knows what, you know, getting blamed for murdering some guy who people don't believe was a vampire or whatever. Um, and of course, Tony Vincenzo would have to be run out with him <laughs> out there in the yellow Mustang driving off to someone somewhere else. God knows where to uh, some other city to work for another newspaper. OK. All right. Cool. Karen. Where I guess take- I, I would ideally have liked to have seen it somehow connect to X-Files. It just mm. it just seems like a natural connection, but. I don't know. Maybe if that doesn't work, then I'd just like to see Kolchak. I guess it takes place in the 70s, so let's just go 20 years later, and he's discovered the Internet, and (laughs) he's putting all his stuff out on the Internet, and he becomes an Internet celebrity and then winds up going to a lot of UFO and other conventions, and finally people <laughs> regard him with esteem, and his life comes to a very happy, happy uh, ending chapter. Conclusion. <laughs> well said. Well said. Um, you know, this might not be popular, but I, I was thinking I would have had the uh, you know brother, sister, whatever of the vampire from the first movie find Carl bite him and turn him into a vampire that Carl actually becomes <laughs> one of the creatures of the night. Oh, and during the whole narration of the movie, I mean, it doesn't happen until the end. You're like, uh, oh, wow. Okay. This is, you know, what's happening. What, what he got bit. He's, but he's not a bad vampire. I mean, you know, he, he tries to like get blood from blood banks and stuff like that. I, I would have put Carl in that kind of a story. Well, then, then he could be hunted by the Winchesters. Or, uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. That ties <laughs> into <Ben> the. <laughs> we'll we'll get the same animators who did Peter Cushing for Star Wars. <laughs> there you go. They can do him as Van Helsing for that movie. But the the other the other story that I was playing with was he gets abducted by aliens and uh, goes off into outer space to. Uh, whatever get probed yeah get probed or help populate a new planet so uh it, it kind of struck me the in the first movie his girlfriend slash fiance he asks her to marry him was really hot i mean oh, she was a yeah. beautiful woman and you know nothing against carl he wasn't you know all that but she was totally devoted you know she's like yeah i'll marry you and then unfortunately spoiler alert when they get driven out of town you know he never sees her again but um, 
Anyway, that would have been interesting to see uh, our three stories if they. Uh, well, even Night Strangler. I mean, what she didn't become <coughs> a girlfriend or anything, but he had was it Joanne Flug? Uh, the belly dancer. As a be- yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, as a stripper. Uh, well. <laughs> stripper, belly dancer, erotic dancer, whatever you want to call her. Only the highest quality people. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this brings us to the conclusion of this episode of Planet 8. As usual, it's time for our sensor sweep. And this episode, we're going to have Karen give us a sensor sweep on one of the treasures that has uh, come across her uh, desk up there in the satellite. Karen, take it away. Why, thank you, Larry. Um, keeping with kind of the spooky theme of this episode, I want to talk about a book that came my way actually at Christmas. Uh, My good friend Leanne sent this to me as a Christmas gift. Thank you, Leanne. Um, This book is called Infogothic. It's an unauthorized graphic guide to hammer horror. So if you're a hammer horror fan, this is the book for you. Hmm. Um, I first heard about this um, on Derek Cook's Monster Kid Radio. He had the author, Alistair Hughes, on. Um, and I, it's actually, he's the author and illustrator. So this info gothic, it basically takes hammer film uh, information, ideas, and puts them into infographics. It's really, really cool. Um, I'm, I'll put some stuff up on our, our website and also on Twitter um, to kind of show some of the neat illustrations. There's charts, maps, timelines. And it kind of goes through all of the great Hammer horror films and sci-fi films. Uh, There's things like um, timelines for the different Frankenstein movies that are illustrated. And he also goes into the connections between Hammer films and like universal horror films. There's a really neat chart that shows all the different types of mummies Hmm. from both Universal and Hammer um, different werewolves, and it's really brilliantly um, illustrated and, and great colors. And, uh, just It's really hard to describe because it's so cool. So it's available on Amazon if you're interested. It's $25.99. Um, again, it's called Info Gothic. So I'll put that up when we uh, load up the show, and I hope people check it out because it's one of a kind. Sounds cool. Definitely. Uh, well, Ladies and gentlemen, we would like to thank you, as always, for uh, tuning in and listening to our little podcast. We know there's a lot of podcasts out there. Uh, Be sure to spread the word. Uh, Let your friends and family know we're out there. Have them uh, give us a listen. Uh, We want to thank you uh, for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.blogspot.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic and join the conversation with us. You can find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast and also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Planet8Podcast. As always, we look forward to your input and your opinions. Until next time, this is Planet8 signing off and transmission. Item. Memeloa Edmonds was deported to her native country only one day after the events of the junkyard. Item, Captain Leo Winwood was relieved of duty for, quote, reasons of health, unquote. Item, Francoise Edmonds, the deceased, was buried a third time at public expense. A third time. However, this time, rock salt was poured in his mouth 
and his lips were sewn shut. City officials will deny this, but you can see it for yourself if, if you'd care to venture out to St. Lucie Cemetery and exhume the corpse. Be my guest, if you've got the nerve. <laughs>